Welcome to episode 42 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by co-host Dalton Willie and producer Johnny Pham. Johnny, how are you doing tonight, my good sir? Doing good. Uh, very excited. Tomorrow's Thursday. Um, watch some preseason games this weekend. Just make it feel like the, the regular season so much more closer around the corner. Yeah, I was I was moving into my house, as you guys know, and as anyone might gather based on a new background if you're watching this. And I had football on all weekend on the TV as I was doing stuff, and it, it felt good. Not a lot of it was consequential, but it felt good, and it was it, it was just fun to to have on. Dalton, I, I saw the eyebrow raise. You you did in fact write a lot about the preseason. If you want to go read twelve hundred words on, on the preseason, there are definitely some interesting nuggets in there. Go to the newsletter halfpointforpodcast.substack.com. Subscribe to it; it'll be in your inbox, and you will have all of the words that we write in the future, which I will have some later this week. But Dalton, you had a lot of preseason thoughts, my friend. How are you? Um, you know, generally it was a really exciting preseason, excluding one particular game, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a bit. <laughs> but I'm excited. A um, lot of talk around the league that this might be the best rookie QBs class we've seen in a while. I think all of those guys came out and they played at least slightly above expectation. And Trey Lance was the real deal. If it wasn't for four drops, his box score would look amazing. But that guy is going to be something to see in the NFL in the next couple of years whenever they let him lose. So, Dalton, I've got to ask you a question. I don't even know how I ended up on your Twitter page earlier today, but I did. And I'm going to put this up here for the people on on the YouTube. Um, can you guess what I'm going to ask you? I don't, and I'm a little worried. It's, it, it's not that big of a concern. Okay. Are you wearing the same shirt in your profile picture and your banner in two different locations? Because it I, looks like you are. I am. I am. At, in fact, um, the, the, yeah, that one's at Disneyland. Expose with him. And one's at Up Down in Kansas City. So that is the exact same shirt. Uh, I, I think I, I ended up on your Twitter this morning for, for something I, I was doing, maybe, maybe for, Twitter, fancy Twitter relay. And I was like, oh my God, is, is, and you've had those forever. But I was like, I've never noticed shirt? that for, for yeah. like two seconds. I thought Dalton was wearing that exact shirt, like right now. And I was that like, no shot. That would have been, <laughs> I actually only have five shirts in my wardrobe and I cycle through them. <laughs> Dalton's a big fan of the of the baseball tee. Go give him a follow at dwilly 21 Go look at the, the profile picture and the Twitter banner. Some fantasy football takes um, in between, uh, of course. But yeah, just just have to ask. It, it just uh, just just popped popped up when I saw this one. I was like, okay, I think that's the same <laughs> shirt, but I'm not. It, I'm not positive. It was yes. That's I had still in my closet. Actually, I can put it on if we want. Maybe it's tighter now. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe next week. So, as you mentioned, um, there was a preseason game that was not that fun for you. But first, before we jump into that, a quick preview of what we got on the docket today. So, a couple preseason thoughts. We're going to keep the news and notes a little uh, news and notes a little shorter this time uh, to actually get through the podcast in a timely manner this week. We will see how that goes. We've got some over unders as usual. Um, a handful of those kind of getting down to it only maybe another two weeks of over-unders three we're 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 stacking them up though we're probably going to have like 50 over-unders by the time we actually get to the regular season which is fun a lot more than we had last year and then you know it 
it's my guys this week. We talked about last week. It was in the tweet. If you're here live or if you're here live at any time or at the YouTube later. Um, and that is basically where Dalton and I plant our flag on, on four guys on their value, on their talent, just on everything, just four guys that we love talent wise and for fantasy football this season. But where we're going to start Dalton is your guy, Miles Gaskin. I know it's, it's tough to glean too much from the preseason, but it was not the best week one uh, of preseason for for Miles Gaskin. I mean, look, I said this in the newsletter. I'll say this now. I'm on the hill. <laughs> I'm on the Miles Gaskin hill, and it's not looking pretty, but I'm not getting off of it. Uh, things I will say, getting seven out of the 23 first-team snaps and Malcolm Ground getting the other 16 is not a good start. Uh, I will say I am much more concerned about any running back in that offense after seeing that offensive line because that, that was – offensive line was very bad. And then the, like, live scrimmage stuff today was, like, the offensive yeah. line is getting its teeth kicked in by the Falcons' defensive line today. So it's like that O-line just actually is maybe pretty bad. We'll see. Yeah. Well, they traded a seventh for Greg Little today, who was a second-round pick for the Panthers, and he's not a guy who's been good. Obviously, when you trade a second-round pick for a seventh – there's something that's gone horribly wrong, but all around, I mean, that offensive line is scary to be around. I will say, I still think Miles Gaskin is the best back. He he had the third most yards per route ran last season among any qualified back. I mean, and Malcolm Brown didn't look good um, either. I, in fact, if you were to pick the best back of that, that night, it was probably Salvin Ahmed, but he also played. Yeah. He was playing the second and third teamers. Sure. And with, with Malcolm Brown, I actually, watched a lot of that first quarter and some of the second quarter of that game. Um, not that he looked good by any means, but his nine carries for eight yards, a little misleading when two of them, he was stuffed on the goal line and it really wasn't his fault either time. The other one, he barely picked up a fourth and one. So he's going to be their short yardage guy. He's not going to have the impressive stat lines, the impressive yards per carry, but that's not really what he's there for. And he, you mentioned it, the snap count was telling, um, he was the first and third down back pretty much every time he was in there. And maybe the most telling and most concerning for me was the fact that Gaskin was still playing with the second stringers a little bit. He wasn't just done for the day um, when the first string was done for the day. So I'm with you that I still, as, as much as I like to bag on Gaskin and mainly his, his value, I do still think he's the best running back on that team, but his his ADP, which I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but that's intentional. Um, RB twenty one as of a couple of days after that game, his ADP. He doesn't just have to be the best back on that team. He has to be the back on that team. And I I think that I already obviously thought it was a dicey proposition taking him that high. I actually redid my ranks um, before this show. I have him down at my RB thirty. So I even moved him down a couple more spots from I think twenty seven. Uh, Malcolm Brown and Salvin Ahmed, both in the 70s. I've got Malcolm Brown up in the 40s in, in my new ranks, Dalton. I'm curious your thoughts on, I guess, Malcolm Brown in particular, and maybe if you change your, changed your Gaskin rank at all. Not incredibly. Um, I, I am dropping Gaskin down. I'm not moving Malcolm Brown up is probably mm -hmm. the better take. I think I dropped Gaskin in the Melvin Gordon range, like 28 or so. 
Um, but the one thing I will take away from this that gave you a little I, optimism. I, I, I just I have to laugh. I'm not saying you're wrong, but we just made the bet last week, two weeks ago, that Gaskin had to be top 24, and now you're going to have him ranked below that coming into the season. Not that he's still going to do it, but just well. Funny. And the one thing I'm keeping hope with is Cameron Wolf, who is a very good beat reporter for Miami, uh, was asked on Twitter when this all went down, "Is who's the guy in Miami? And he said, no, Miles Gaskin will be the man in the backfield. Anybody who knows who Scott Barrett is, he's another famous fantasy football uh, analyst. He kind of quote tweeted what Flores said and was like, what, what do you have to say about this? This looks like an RBBC. Mm-hmm. And Cameron Wolf said, I expect Gaskin to lead the, the backfield and touches, snaps every game. He's fully healthy. Howard and Breda got a lot of love in the preseason last year, but Gaskin got 60% plus snaps in every game he played. I see Brown as a short yardage while Ahmed spells or while Ahmed spells Gaskin. Um, I give me a little hope because, you know, when he's talking about usage, if this was the same thing last preseason, when we didn't get to see these guys play, perhaps there's a little hope there. Um, And like I said, in the opening of my preseason article, Two years ago or three years ago, we all got fooled into thinking that Tree Cohen was never going to have a role for the Bears because he didn't in the preseason. And he had a very, very fantasy impactful role mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the year. So I am very much taking into effect what happened because who runs with the ones is very important. But it's something to continue to monitor. And depending on where Gaskin falls, there is still talent to be had there instead of taking somebody like a Tevin Coleman who, you, you know, you're really just looking for help there instead of talent. Yeah. Um I think I'll just stick with my original. I'll, I'll close with my original point that we we need him to be the guy, not just the lead guy. If if he's going to live up to that value of RB twenty one, I'll be curious where his you know they'll play again before we dra- before a lot of people draft. I'll be curious to see what happens in that game and then what the ADP says as we really get into the big draft weekend. Next How would you weekend. react if it just was a total split? It just it flipped. So Gaskin went like 16 for 23 and Malcolm Brown went seven for 23. Like, what would your takeaway be? Would you just be incredibly frustrated or, or how would you feel about that? I think I would probably, I mean, like I said, I have him at 30. I already had him at 27. I would probably just leave him at, at that spot at this point. Cause then there's just, there's just so much unknown on top of my already skept, skepticism Um with Gaskin and and his role in particular this year. So I think that's what I would do. I'm assuming you could be swayed a little bit more by a big uh, Miles Gaskin game, though. Just about anything could swim me right now. <laughs> I need good news. Antonio Gibson. So you had uh, some Antonio Gibson. I don't know if I want to call them concerns, Dalton, but they were, we'll just say an eyebrow raiser with McKissick being kind of the third down guy again in in the preseason in the newsletter you don't have to give away everything that you wrote in there but if you want to maybe touch on what you saw what you're thinking with gibson going forward because he's a guy that i just feel like every day his adp feels like it's rising to me at least well let me first say i'm very frustrated because i found this nugget actually watching the game uh, and I had to watch fantasy Twitter absolutely unload on Miles Gaskin. And then I was going through some news and notes, and I was like, that's weird. No one was really talking about this. And basically, the, with the entire first-team offense, Antonio Gibson had the role he had last year, first, second down. And then J.D. McKissick was coming out on every third down like we saw last year. And right now, we're drafting Antonio Gibson like he's a every down back, and we really want him to be because he's really good at it. But – Based on what we're seeing out of Washington, 
he's Jonathan Taylor 2.0. He's going to be getting the first and second down work, and there's going to be a guy coming in and taking as many passes as possible. And more importantly, J.D. McKissick was in there with the, the two-minute drill, which is where J.D. McKissick became a fantasy asset last year mm-hmm. and where a lot of guys get a lot of touches. Um, on the opposite end, J.D. McKissick did play with the twos for a while. That was good to look at. But then what everybody on fantasy Twitter blew up was backup quarterback Tyler Henneke saying, we have Christian McCaffrey. I mean, and that's just like the ultimate fluff piece. Like, good job. Yeah, like, that's all you have is the second string quarterback saying we have CMC on our team and not well, the and, and people have been trying to kind of draw that straight line all offseason because, you know, it's year two. We liked this guy in year one. Oh, Ron Revere had Christian McCaffrey, so maybe he can do that with Gibson because Gibson does have at least the skill set to do all of those things. Now, whether or not he can live um, through that wear and tear and do it on a week-in, week-out basis, even 80% as productive as McCaffrey is another question. I think the difference, um, so to address your first point, the difference in why we didn't see the fallout between Gibson, with Gibson like we did with Gaskin, is because I think um, everyone knows that Gibson is a very good running back at this point. I think with Gaskin, his rank was more about role than the player. Not to say that he isn't a pretty good player or, or you know, good, pretty good, very good, whatever you want to call him. But I, I just think that's a product of a ranking being more about role with one guy. And then, like, it depends on where you have Gibson. Like, I have him in 11, which I think is, like, perfectly reasonable. If you're a first and second down guy, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor 2.0. He's one spot behind Taylor in my ranks. I think that's where he should go. Now, if he if he goes up any higher than that, I think you're right, and you made the exact point that I was going to make with Gibson is that we really, really, really want him to be this three down guy because he has the skill set. I saw someone make the comparison. It's it's like what we did with Joe Mixon, which I'm not sure if I did that, but a lot, I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, he's going to be this this three down guy," and it just wasn't hasn't ever quite been that, or he wasn't quite ready for that. We'll see if he is this year. And it could be like that with Gibson too, where we don't quite get the the passing down stuff that, that we hope for. Yep. And that's worrisome. We've talked about it before, so I won't belabor the point, but Gibson was really good at scoring touchdowns last year. And you hope you get some value on those targets. And let's just hope JD McKissick isn't Giovanni Bernard 2.0 for another running back we love that we can't see all of. Well, as a J.D. McKissick dynasty owner, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But yeah, uh, for, for the wider fantasy world, yeah, it would be it would be a bummer if McKissick was a third down guy. But also, if you're Washington, the team, it not that McKissick should be the full time guy in that role because Gibson can be very good at it. But like if you can spell Gibson and keep him healthy, I mean, they're going to be trying to make the playoffs. I don't see why why you wouldn't, um, to be honest, to, to make him last through the whole season. Yeah, I really hate it when real football doesn't line up with fantasy football. <laughs> that that that's the worst. When when the real coaches who whose jobs are on the line don't don't do exactly what we need them to do to appease us. Well, my right? pride's on the line when I draft these teams, and I need it. <laughs> uh, speaking of pride on the line, Big Ben, his over under. We're going in the over unders here. Three thousand nine hundred ninety five and a half. Basically, do you think Big Ben is going to hit four thousand passing yards this season? Pride is on the line because it it was pretty bad last year, especially to end last season. He was uh, under this number, 3,800 and change last year. Johnny, I will let you kick this off. You've gone a little while without talking. Over or under on, on Big Ben basically getting the 4K this year. 
I am just hoping that we get the um, old Big Ben that we're, we're kind of used to. Not like the elite kind of 500-yard games every single week. But I'm, I'm going to say the over on this week because although last season it was pretty not great and kind of scary to watch at games, but I, I think this year he'll the Steelers are just going to be more pass-heavy. I see Ben throwing like 40, 50 times a game on average. Not on average, but he'll have some of those big games where he has four or 500 yards. So I'll, uh, I'll take the over on this one. I'm taking the over too. This is definitely, this falls in the category of not a line that I'm betting. Um, basically, if Ben starts all or most of these games, he's going to at least be pushing that number because every quarterback who starts all the games and is at least okay can hit 3,500 to, to 4,000 passing yards. I actually went back and looked at last season at how many quarterbacks hit this number or were very close to it that were not fantasy relevant or even like on the streaming radar last year. And really pretty much anybody who hit this number was, was around that range, Dalton, which kind of brings us back to the Big Ben conversation we have where it's like, well, I think I would still like I have a QB 19. I think that's where I would draft him still. But if he actually plays all of the games, he is going to finish higher than that. But I just have have concerns. Last year, Matthew Stafford over 4000 yards, QB 15. Derek Carr was over QB 13. Jared Goff wasn't that far off QB 18. And then Ben, obviously, he wasn't far off QB 14. Better situation, I'm hoping, which is crazy to say the team was 11-0 last year, but it, we all knew it was a fraudulent 11-0. Hopefully better health and a running back who can really be an asset in the passing game too, along with the growth of the two receivers. I am taking the over, not feeling good about it though. Yeah, well, it looks like I am the lone survivor on this one as well because <laughs> I'm taking the under. Okay. Uh, first of all, this is one I would never put any real money on. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a really annoyingly well-set line. Historically, in 2020, last year, Ben had 3,008, you know, and with an uh, extended game, he would have hit that. 2018, I'm skipping 19 because he was injured, obviously. He had 5,000. 17, he had 4,200. 16, he had 38. And 15, he had 39. But I honestly just don't think this guy plays a full season behind that offensive line. He's going to get hit. And I mean, he's going into his 39-year-old season, and he's a quarterback who historically has been able to take, you know, those high yardage totals because he can chuck it down the field in the face of pressure. That's mm-hmm. kind of been his MO. And my big concern is that this offense just turns into a dink and dunk uh, ball control team, and they really try to play out that defense like we saw last year. And more importantly, I just don't want to bet on Big Ben's health at this point at 39. He at least has the personnel with uh, yeah, Juju, obviously, and then Deontay Johnson and, and even Najee Harris, where the dink and dunk could turn into to something after the catch. And obviously Claypool on like some of the, the jet sweeps, maybe. Um, he's got the weapons to do it. He's got everything but the health and perhaps the weight loss. line. He has the weight yeah, loss. The, I, when I, I looked up Big Ben, and they're some they're they're crediting he's crediting his clothes with making him look um, look good apparently. So uh, okay, a lot a lot going on with Big Ben. Uh, AJ Brown, his over under is at one thousand two hundred and a half yards. I will lead this one off. I'm taking the under. Another one that I don't feel great about. Another one. Uh, this is one that I would love to be 
on the over because it's just it's just more fun. AJ Brown year three breakout would just be would just be fun. AJ Brown is a very fun football player who has like some incredible Hulk looking plays sometimes on the field, but he's never started a full 16 games to, to be clear. He's also never topped 1100 yards. He, he was a, he played a full 16 his rookie year only started, you know, he, he had a couple where he didn't start. And then last year, I think he only played, I think he played 14 games, missed a couple with a knee issue and was banged up in game a couple other times too. But again, never topped 1100 yards. I know, and I mentioned this with Henry last week, I know what the Titans should do. They should pass the ball more. Do I have the confidence that is what they will do? That is what is going to happen? I do not. And with with Julio there, I just think there's too many, too many things I could see going wrong, whether it's just the volume gets split up more than in past years, and then obviously with the running game, and then just with like maybe Tannehill could all of a sudden just kind of go back to being Tannehill um, and, and being the pre-Tennessee guy too. I think there's just a lot of, of factors at play here that make me nervous to, to take that over. So I'm on the under. I am on the over. So this is round two. We disagree. <laughs> um, but last year he played 14 games and had 1,075. He only started 12 and his other two he left as a result of injury. Mm-hmm. Um and I think there's still a lot of room in this offense for Julio to eat up. Uh, they are the second most vacated targets of any NFL team. The Lions being first at 215. Uh, obviously, those aren't just going to go to AJ Julio. Um, there are other guys like Josh Reynolds and Anthony Ferkser who are going to eat into that target share as well and get a little <laughs> but, more of the but, but that But but that's about it, though. Struggle that, with anybody that is else about on that, on, on, in that passing game outside of those two guys um, and then the next two. And I, I don't share the same concerns. I think we've always kind of disagreed on Tannehill. I think it's just an Adam Gase player who got ruined with Adam Gase. And once he came over to Tennessee, we've kind of seen him play a little better. And not that I think he's like an ultra elite quarterback, but I think he can do enough to get the job done to someone talented. And I've, I think if A.J. Brown plays a full 17, he can hit this pretty quickly. The question I've, is, does he play it? Well, yeah, that that's the other question. I've always made the argument with, with Tannehill and Tennessee that they – kind of run like a high school offense on steroids. It's play action. It, it's very e- They make it very easy for Tannehill. It's one read. He doesn't have to do too much. If he ever does that, if they try to pass the ball more, like I think maybe they should, maybe, maybe that maybe they just can't do that because Tannehill can't do that. Um, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not saying that that's for sure going to happen. Just that that worry is in the back of my mind. still. Also, we've both kind of talked about the potential for a Derrick Henry injury, and if that happens, AJ Brown is going to be targeted like a mofo. There's yeah, no getting I, away from that. I'm I'm not I'm not making a bet based on the hope of somebody getting hurt though. Johnny, what are you taking here? Uh, I like the under. I just don't feel comfortable taking the over just because age like Evan, you said that he's never crossed 1100 before, and um, Julio might take up some targets, but I, I like the under on this one. I do as well. Odell Beckham Jr., his over under 925 and a half receiving yards. Dalton, we'll let you start this one off here. What are you taking? Well, didn't really want to do it. I looked at my fantasy rankings, kind of thought about it. And I'm taking the over with him. Um, There's a little bit of a bet on here that we get Odell to be Odell or at least something similar to Odell. Two years ago, in a much more anemic and poorly coached Browns offense, he did hit the over on this number. He had 1,035 yards. I really do think Kevin Stefanski is the real deal as an NFL coach. This is what a a lot of people 
are grading out as the best offensive line, which means Odell has more time to get downfield, which means Baker Mayfield, for all that he's bad at, can throw downfield and get it to him. Uh, and, I mean, if Odell is even, I don't know, 80% of what we saw at the Giants, he is by far and above the best wide receiver in this offense. I mean, there's no one challenging his alpha role, uh, mm-hmm. so you call it. So I think, you know, if we get 14, 15 games of Odell, it's really hard for him not to hit this number unless something goes disastrously long with this Browns offense, which it's the Browns, and that's always something that you're concerned about. But I really think that this team's heading in the right direction, and they need an alpha wide receiver, and I think Odell fits that role well enough that he can get back to a semblance of his old self. Johnny? I am going to take the over as well. Uh, I I was kind of shocked. I think Vegas is just kind of saying the line as they think he's basically going to be healthy and should perform to where he is, but he might miss a couple games. And just depending if you if you want to trust Baker's arm. But like Dalton said, I don't think there's really any other wide receiver there that could be the wide receiver one there or compete with Odell for that. So I, I like the over. I can't believe I have to do this. But You're not I, doing I, No. I, I, I am the under. Um, oh, my Odell gosh. Here. Just like with AJ Brown, there, there's wow. too much that I could see going wrong to to feel good about taking the over. And you guys know I've been the Odell guy. I was, you probably had to look pretty hard to find someone who was higher than than me on Odell during the last season. But you know what's changed between then and now? Well, the guy tore his ACL for one thing, so he's coming back from from the ACL tear. We have all of these concerns about Saquon. Um, is he going to be ready for the start of the season? Is he going to be worked in? at the start of the season. Well, Odell got hurt later in the season than, than Saquon did. So, well, to be fair, Odell had a, or Saquon had a follow-up surgery in June. That's really raised those concerns. Okay. But I'm just saying Odell got hurt late, later in the season and, and had his original ACL surgery later in the season. So even if he doesn't have a concern about week one, I think there's still just a question mark about his, his overall readiness to produce at a high level coming off the injury number one number two like can odell just play um a full healthy season please uh, without any, anything going on like he he obviously didn't last year the year before he did but it was a terrible season like you said he hit the yardage total but it was the most inefficient volume heavy season we all know how bad it was um i think only had like four touchdowns and then the year before that he he was hurt he, he's been hurt multiple times um as well so there's a lot of injury concern with, with Odell and the further we get away from his best years the less likely it is he's the same guy now again could he be 80% of that guy sure and he could very well be the best receiver and will be the best receiver on the team as long as he is that like you said I don't disagree there but the Browns also have uh, some salary cap stuff coming up Odell almost certainly not going to be back next year not saying he's going to be phased out, but I think they have a little bit of incentive to maybe see what they've got in some of those other young receivers this year too as well. So a little bit of Nitter Street, a little bit of crutch argument there, but I, I'm i not I, I'm not betting the over. I'm not betting on Odell again until I see it, until I see the elite production. You're telling me it could be a proving year for Odell? Oh, count me in even <laughs> farther. I think – yeah, well, I think this one, he could basically average 60 yards a game and be, be there if he, he plays could. 17. He could. Um, you know what? 
I'll go back and look at his game log and see how many times he hit 60 yards last season. Um, I would bet you. To be fair, that was an entirely different Browns offense. It was, and the offense found itself at the end of last season, to be sure, but this could also be a completely different guy coming off an ACL tear. So we'll see. Mike Davis, the over-under, 800 and a half rushing yards. Dalton, you lead us, and I will find the Odell game log. Yeah, I'm doing the under on this one. Even if he's the quote-unquote RB1 in Atlanta, this just isn't his game. He's a receiving back. I mean, he was pretty much the Carolina Panthers RB1 last year for most of the season, and he had a 642 rushing yards on 165 attempts. You know, maybe he gets close to that number, but just using the stuff coming out of camp with like Quadri Allison and Corderell Patterson, and some of these names you're hearing, you kind of scratch your head at, but they're getting considerations for the first team. I don't think Mike Davis is impressing. And Atlanta was a team that was in the running for drafting a running back. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mike Davis has always been a good receiver. He's never been a great rusher. And it's not like the Atlanta Falcons are putting out a better offensive line than the Panthers. So there's really not a lot of upside here. I think this team is better off when they pass more anyways. Uh, I just really don't expect him to take over and and hit an over of that number. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to have enough snaps to do it. I'm taking the under here too, as well. And I, I say that and still fully acknowledge that he could have, he, he could hit at value and he could exceed that value because you're right, what he can do in the passing game. And he was very good as a receiver last year too. He had 650 yards ish last season. That was a career high. That was basically in basically 12 games. He only got like two carries in the three games that McCaffrey played. And then he had one game that he missed with injury, but you take his carries in those 12 games, he averaged like 13 and a half carries a game. You think Mike Davis is at 800 yards at 13 and a half carries a game? I mean, that, that, that leaves you very little. You basically have to project him to play every game. I just think I'm concerned with how he wore down at the end of last season. I think that's being factored into his overall draft value. I think he'd probably be a top 20 guy um, everywhere if he was just, I don't know. I mean, you, because he finished very high. So I can't even say like if he finished higher or if he had like a better second half, but if the, if the very good games were more spread out and instead of being kind of all when he first took over, I, I just have concerns that he can be, like you said, the volume, I just don't think is going to be there. I think there will be another guy in that backfield. Now who it is, we'll see, but there will be somebody else that has um, fantasy value, Johnny uh, over or under on Mike Davis. Yeah, I think it was kind of an easy under. I'm just not a big uh, Mike Davis believer, especially with being on the Falcons. His his role, like, I, I just don't see him as an RB1, and that, that that's about it. Mm-hmm. So, Odell, I went back and looked. He only had one game where he topped 60 yards last season, and that was thanks to a touchdown pass from Jarvis Landry. So, just, just saying, maybe average 60 a game with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback, Odell. Well... To be fair, Jarvis Landry was the better quarterback in <laughs> in Cleveland for game, weeks one through five until Adele got injured. Adele actually got injured in week seven, so shows oh, what you know. It's a little off. Shows what you know. But yeah, six full And games. there was also a pass interference call that Odell should have got that would have put him over because that was well, a long. Trust me, as someone who had Odell <laughs> on his team last year, if you remember the Bengals game, he had four for 74. Yes, he had the pass interference. So actually, I'm sorry, two games he went over. Two out of six. Because I, I skipped the Bengals game. He had the four for 74, you're right. Had the PI where he would have had 25 for a touchdown. So I How's it feel to have that that used against you this time? (laughs) I mean, facts are facts. At least I don't think it cost me the win in that week last season. So 
Um, and then he got hurt, which ultimately cost me in the juju bet. So it is what it is. Lamar Jackson, 900 and a half rushing yards is the over under. I'll be quick here. I'm taking the over 1200 and 1000 are his totals in, in 15 games in the last two seasons. So you get that cushion if you were to miss time. Um, if he catches COVID for a third time, if he gets hurt, this is a couple games. If the, if the, for a fourth time, however many times that COVID at this point, if, uh, if the Ravens were to have home field and he hasn't played last game or two. So you've got that cushion. The volume is just locked in. He's probably the best quarterback runner of all time. You have the crutch argument that, Hey, the receivers are going down, which is not wrong. Maybe he has to run the ball a little bit more to start the season. I, I don't know if that's true, but it's at least a scenario that you can see playing out. What do you guys think? Yeah, this is one that I would actually bet without much like thinking. It's an easy over for me, too. His entire career, he averaged 63.2 yards a game. And that includes his 695 rookie season. So, I mean, even on that track, he's going to hit the over. He missed a game last year, hit the over. He's a full schedule this year. And, again, I don't even think it's a crutch argument at this point because that wide receiver room is bare. And then Tyler Wallace is, like, getting very bad camp reports. Not that that means a lot, but still – you know, it's been just a, a running joke that this guy has no one to throw to. He's not, he's probably going to have to do a lot more on his feet until all of these guys are healthy. And God forbid you, you hope that Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins can put together a full healthy season. So is, is, Devin, the, is, is Devin Duvernay still there? We might need to throw Devin Duvernay out there for a couple plays. He is. Don't forget this team unironically started Des Bryant and thought that that was a good idea. They were so short a wide receiver. I, like, I don't know if they thought it was a good idea. I think it was maybe a last resort. But, <laughs> but yes, the, the point is well taken. Johnny, what, what are you saying here? I think it's just the same as last week about the Kyler Murray bet. Like, it's just a no-brainer over for me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get burned on one of those two somehow. But, yeah, both <laughs> lines just, just seem like no-brainers. This one, even at 900 and a half, it's just like – you mentioned his rookie season, Dalton. He, he played 16 games, but he didn't start but half the season and was being yeah. used at, in a specialty role and was still at, at 700 yards, basically. So, yeah, I he's just too good if he stays healthy, which – unless it's a guy who's very injury prone, which he hasn't been, you're not, you're not betting with, with injury in mind necessarily here. So all three on the over, that was an easy one. And you know what? I will stick um, with this same team as we start the, my guys here, you obviously already know who, who this guy is. Um, JK Dobbins, my first, my guy, Johnny, I know you're probably happy about this because you stole him from me in our dynasty draft. I'm still open, still open for trades. Um, if you want to trade me right now before I give you all these good points about him, uh, that would be great. Nope, he is on my dynasty team for a reason. I just think he's like the perfect running back for that system specifically. He can get to the outside on the tosses. He can run the ISO, can put his head down um, on the interior, get the tough yards, even though he's a smaller guy. He can catch the ball. Not that they have asked him to do that hardly at all so far. He could have at least a little more volume there this year, which wouldn't take much because it was basically done last season. I think people are afraid of Gus Edwards when it comes to to Dobbins. His ADP is RB15. I have him RB12. I I just – I know they invested in Gus Edwards too, but I I just think that Dobbins is – the far superior player of the two Edwards will have a role, but basically 
any backfield besides like three or four backfields, there's another guy who has a role. So I, I'm not going to let that scare me off here. I mean, even I know Mark Ingram's season was kind of an anomaly and it was a lot uh, because he had uh, a lot, 15 total touchdowns and even like five of them were through the air. Uh, but that is like this offense, right? Like it's these running backs have the opportunities to run for a lot of touchdowns. That was only 202 total touches last season. Edwards tripled his average um, in, in touchdowns from two per year to six. And Dobbins was still, even though he didn't play the whole season, he, he wasn't even the guy early on. He even had, I think he had COVID late in the season and missed the game. He was still the, the RB 21, even if you just literally give Dobbins like two of, of those, of those Edwards touchdowns, like he's probably already up to RB 15 last year. And, and that's in an, in a limited role. He's just a do it all guy who's draft capital in the real NFL draft and his talent. Just, it just screams primary role in, in this offense to me. He's got top 10 upside. I think he is, like of that 15 to 20 range in ADP, he is easily the safest guy. I see no scenario where he plays a full season where he's not an RB2, top top 24. No scenario in my mind. We'll talk about other guys in that range I think are much safer here in a bit. Um, I do want to play a fun game, and this is not my game. This is Ian Hardis on Twitter played Who's That Pokemon? And RBA has an 85.5 rushing grade. 0.15 missed tackles and 3.3 yards after contact. And RBB has 81 pro, uh, 81 overall pro football rushing grade, 0.19 force missed tackle rate, and then 3.9 yards after an attempt. And who do you think RBA is? I'm going to guess since you're cherry picking these stats, this is Gus Edwards versus J.K. Dobbins. It is. And I think that Gus Edwards is getting overall undervalued by a lot of people. He has three straight seasons. Him and only Nick Chubb are the players who do this, averaging over five yards of carry, which is incredibly effective. I do like J.K. Dobbins. He's incredibly talented. My problem what, with what, only... what, J- what J.K. Dobbins average uh, yards six, last year? Six. Oh, interesting. Yes, but he, this is three straight years Gus Edwards has done it, which well, is, yeah. it uh, means it's no longer an outlier. It's a, it's a fact. So you're comparing J- or Gus Edwards to Nick Chubb. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, I'm saying it's just an elite company to be in. Mm, okay. Okay. K. Dobbins in efficient season with double digit touchdowns is not a big ask for, for a guy that talented in, in that offense. And it's just he, tough for double digit touchdowns when Lamar Jackson is the guy who just steals so much of the value. The I mean, it, is it how, how many, how many touchdowns did Mark Ingram have his big year? You look last year again, Dobbins wasn't even the primary guy and, and between him and, and Edwards, I'm sure they topped 10 touchdowns easily. Yeah. Do- Dobbins alone had nine touchdowns last season, but Mark Ingram's year was also on the back of what was the, at the time it was replaced by the chiefs the next year, the most efficient offense the NFL had ever seen. It was literally the highest scoring NFL offense. I mean, that's a big yeah, ask get, for the but, Ravens but, to repeat. Well, he literally just had nine rushing touchdowns last year and 134 attempts. So yeah, but I, Mark Ingram also caught 34 passes that year, and okay, Gus Edwards, I, and combined, I think it's like a 2.2 targets per game between Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins last year. So sure, for being no, fair, I, 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 I completely get that, and I'm saying I think Dobbins, like like I said, he hasn't done the pass catching stuff yet. I think he at least has the skill set to where he can. How much will he do? Obviously, remains to be seen, and we know that that upside is is capped because of Lamar for sure. No, no doubt about it. 
The last thing I'll say uh, about Dobbins, he basically has no weaknesses. He's like very good at everything, not great at anything, but very good at everything makes you a very useful player um, in the NFL. And again, I mentioned that range 14 through 20, uh, CEH, JK Dobbins, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, Chris Carson, DeAndre Swift, Miles Sanders. Yeah, give me J.K. Dobbins out of that group all day, every day. He's got top 10 upside. I've got him at 12, and that's all I have to say about that. He will not fail. So I'll skip my first guy and go to my second guy because this is leading into a very, very great bet. Uh, to surprise to nobody, <laughs> uh, second year in a row, I'm putting him on here because I, I just can't stop and I can't get off it. My Twitter bio says I'm a CEH truther, and I am a CEH truther. Uh, his ADP overall is 22. He's the RB14. Let me just get last where, season. Where do you have him ranked? Uh, 11. 11. So you and me have him and J.K. Dobbins basically yeah, so against I have, each other. I have Dobbins 12, uh, CEH 14. So not a big difference, but I, I, I would – I would definitely take a straight up bet. I know where this is going. I'd take a bet Dobbins for CEH. So we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Um, last season, one of the big things that everybody talked about is CEH just could not get into the end zone. Josh Hirschmeyer called him MEH, which every time he tweets, it makes me very mad. Uh, he had nine goal line touches and one touchdown. And that's very bad until you look at the entire team and between Every other running back that was on the team, including Le'Veon Bell, Darrell Williams, and Darwin Thompson, they were one for 10. So there was just no, there wasn't a lot to be had there. We know how bad that Chiefs offensive line was. To give you an idea of how bad our red zone offense was last year, the Chiefs were the sixth best offense and the 16th best red zone scoring offense. The reason for that is because our offensive line wasn't performing. And this year, the improvements are vast. Brandon Thorne has a ranked as his sixth best offensive line. And they could easily improve with some of the rookies they have coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the league average in conversion rate within the goal line carries, which he had nine of, is 42%. So you can, if you're just giving him league average, CEH has three to four touchdowns last year in the goal line. And I know there's concern about him splitting time with Daryl Williams. Last year in the red zone, so within the 20, Daryl Williams had four touches and CEH had 29. I mean, CH was without a doubt the go-to guy until the Chiefs signed Le'Veon Bell, and then he got bogged down by an injury later in the season. What I will say about Daryl, remember he was coming off a torn Achilles, and then they bring in Bell. So he wasn't really like a factor, period, until they got banged up later in the season. But I do think that we at least have to acknowledge the the possible downside of Daryl Williams being not like the goal line guy, but he could definitely steal short yardage touchdowns because that's what he's done in Kansas city, the last couple of years to score, score short touchdowns, pick up third and twos. Absolutely. But that brings me to the best part. We even got to the best part of CH's game. He's a receiving back. I mean, that's really what he was profiled as coming into the draft again. Yes. But last year, if if, if you only had 54 targets, I was going to say, if you're, if you're going to throw all these other um, receiving back hopes in my face, I've got to say CEH, not that involved in the passing game last year. I'm with you that I think it would have happened later in the season but it didn't so we we haven't seen i mean 54 targets is already good and if he is an improvement in the offense and he gets up to the 60 70 range that's a really good target share for running back in the top offense he was very good last year he was 14th in the nfl in the missed tackle rate he was 25th in yards per carry and through week six before the signing of Le'Veon bell he was the fourth most used running back in the nfl 
I mean, the Chiefs very much liked him, and he was very efficient. And there was one three-week span where Patrick Mahomes went absolutely ballistic, and there was not a running back you could start on that team because Mahomes was throwing for touchdowns so quickly. One of those games was the Denver game, where the Chiefs hardly had to play offense because they scored so quickly and so often. CEH also had games with like 26 and, and 24 rushes, too, so I think that kind of balanced out. Yeah, and that was early in the season, the first six games before yeah. the signing of Bell. But I just think that this guy's coming into the offense. And again, the history of Andy Reid running back ones is easy, easily documented. Two years ago, Damian Williams was one of the few it didn't happen. And last year with CEH was another one. Didn't happen with Williams because of injuries. And didn't happen with CEH in part because of injuries and because they were splitting that backfield. Mm-hmm. But I think with a better offensive line, better offense in general, that CEH is going to be just as productive. And he's a huge steal at RB14 because we're getting him near his, his floor, not his ceiling. I would argue that 14 is not his floor. I, I obviously I don't have him much lower than you, so it's not like I don't like him. And I definitely can see the top 10 upside. No, no doubt about it. But I think there is a little bit of a lower floor than and you've acknowledged just with the passing game stuff. Like I've just got to see him be more involved in the passing game because unlike Dobbins, he's not in an offense where he's going to he might have big blow up volume games that Dobbins has not had, but I trust that Dobbins is going to be between 12 and 17 carries basically every week um, this season. I, I I just trust that with CEH. I, I think you can see that vary um, from week to week a, a lot more based on is this team playing nobody in the box this week and just praying the chiefs hand it off. Yes. Okay. CEH 23 rushes, or is this team actually playing a legitimate normal defense and the chiefs can throw the ball. They are okay. CEH, seven carries, four targets, uh, 40 total yards. Like I, That's just kind of been the story of the Chiefs running backs the last couple seasons. You can argue that, hey, they haven't had the elite guys, so that's kind of why it's been that way. It wasn't that way with Kareem Hunt, which is totally fair. Could totally happen. But I just think there is more downside with CEH. Um, the upside is about the same between the two, but for the sake of making a bet and for the sake of me having – Dobbins two places above CEH in my rankings. I will take my guy J.K. Dobbins straight up against CEH this season. So whoever finishes higher? Yep, whoever finishes higher. Works for me. I love it. I think J.K. Dobbins isn't going to get more than 15 touches a game at best. And I think CEH could get upwards of 20 touches. I'm excited for it. All right. We shall see. I, You know what? I, I'll have to look at this later. I wonder what their points per game were last year. Um, I, what did CEH even finish on – on the RB, I think he actually finished one below. I think he was RB22. Oh, so he finished one below Dobbins last year. And I know he was hurt, but Dobbins also didn't start the season. Yeah, but so he was hurt. Was, I mean, he pretty... missed a game and was one below Dobbins. Well, yeah, but Dobbins also missed. Let me let me look. This is great podcasting. Gonna, gonna pull it up. Am I looking at the wrong ranks? I've only got weeks one through 16. That's uh, also PPR throwing everything off. And I can't find it. Okay, moving on. My second guy um, on this list, my guy, T. Higgins. So T. Higgins, ADP, wide receiver 29. I've got him up to 23 in in my new ranks. Um, Him and Jamar Chase, I am surrendering. Um, I've got T. Higgins 23, Jamar Chase 24. That is the fantasy football rankings equivalent of I don't know. <laughs> we'll just put these guys back to back and see what happens. But Higgins played a huge chunk of last season with no Joe Burrow. 
he was still 67 for over 900 yards, six touchdowns. So as a rookie, six games without Joe Burrow, and that's not including his last game where he hurt his hamstring. He was only under 50 yards six times. Two of those were in the first two games of the season. So he was really very consistent um, for a lot of that season, which as a rookie, I mean, for anybody, but as a rookie, I mean, that's impressive to have just week in, week out. You can bank on 50 yards um, for that guy. And then as that passing game gets more efficient, you would imagine a big bodied guy like that. His touchdown ceiling is much, much higher. Forget the yardage for a second. Just the touchdown ceiling is much higher than, than six. He, the dude is just a, a very good player. And it was on volume that like, despite their, their passing offense, having a crazy amount of volume, it wasn't like unsustainable volume for T Higgins last year. He only hit 10 targets one time, usually between five to eight targets. That volume could easily go up even with Jamar Chase there, because I think that offense is going to be so much funneled to the three receivers and then Joe Mixon. And that's pretty much it. So I think the volume could even sustain around that rate or go up a little bit and you just see more efficiency and a better player in year two. You look at weeks one through 10 with Joe Burrow, and this is with his buy. So he had his buy in the stretch. Other guys did not. Um, some other guys. He was the wide receiver 23. So exactly where I have him ranked, almost 12 points per game. He only caught one touchdown the last five weeks without Burrow. So I think it's safe to say he would have had more like seven or eight touchdowns had Burrow played the whole season, probably some more yards too. And if he does that, he's probably going higher in drafts. And I think having Chase is actually going to help Higgins too. I think Chase is going to be the guy who at least a good portion of the time is getting the, the, the cornerback one on the other team. And I think Higgins can really feed on, on that second guy and then have obviously Boyd working in the middle of the field. I, I just like Higgins a lot this season. And I think he, he doesn't have the uncertainty of number one, being a rookie number two, a whole year off playing football like Jamar Chase does. So that that's kind of the tiebreaker in a very close rank between those two. Um, his yards per route run last season, basically the same as CD lamb just thought, thought that was interesting. He he's kind of the, the, the bargain bin CD lamb in, in drafts this year. And I, I can dig it. Yeah, I like T. Higgins a lot too. So I, I my concern with putting him my guy isn't even T. Higgins talent. I agree that I think he's a profiles as a better wide receiver two than a wide receiver one. And he has a more efficient wide receiver one no matter what, because AJ Green last season was atrocious. My concern, and we talked about it a little bit on guys we think we might be wrong, mm-hmm. is this Joe Burrow stuff. It gets For scary. Sure. And I know he said today like he feels good and like he's gotten over the knee thing, but I really I need to see it in a game. And that offensive line, too, is not going to do him any favors this year. And if if we just don't get good Joe Burrow, then there's a little bit of a concern there. You know, Joe Burrow wasn't a great, efficient uh, touchdown passer last season. That's where his struggles came from. I do agree this team's going to pass a lot, and they're going to pass their three wide receivers. Tight ends next to non-existent. Um, but the, all, the only concern I have about T. Higgins, if I'm just playing, you know, devil's advocate here, is I'm – getting more concerned about Joe Burrow by the day with camp reports than I am about Joe Burrow getting, you know, less concerned about him by the day. Yep. No, I, I, I get it. It's definitely a concern, but I'm just a believer in the talent. And I, I don't even, I don't think Burrow has to be great. I think if Burrow is just like, has an average season, which the, the problems it sounds like are all mental, not physical. 
which I'm not sure which is better or worse. <laughs> I, I, I guess I would rather right now have it be mental if in six months it's still mental. Then it's a <laughs> but yeah. he, he, he hasn't played, obviously, and it's a very traumatic injury. So I'm still not ready to – I know you're not ready to give up on, on Burrow either, but I, I'm still giving him the benefit of the doubt for now. The last thing on Higgins, and this is not the end-all be-all, but just an interesting note, PFF hasn't projected for more receiving yards than Mike Evans, CeeDee Lamb, Tyler Lockett, and tied with Chris Goblin. I, they, they are very high on T. Higgins this year. I'm not even sure I'm quite that high on T. Higgins this year, but, but he, he is definitely he is a, one of the favorites on, on Fantasy Hype Twitter. That is crazy. I did. That's, that's some crazy names from next to you. I get CD Lamb, but Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are two guys. Anti or Lockett. Godwin, surpri- Godwin surprises me. Evans, he can really vary on the yards, obviously, and he can have high touchdowns. But yeah, Godwin surprised me for yeah. sure. Who, who, who's your second guy? Um, so I skipped him just to get to Chris Godwin. Or- Wow, to get to CH. Um, but it's Austin Eckler. Uh to again, no uh, one's surprised. How did I know? I've Man, talked you, about you, it. you and the in the tiny running backs. Dude, me, it's funny because I was gonna say with last year, this seems like the same thing with Josh Jacobs. <laughs> this is JK Dobbins now. He's a great runner. Well, but, Do- but I don't but like it. Dobbins, to be fair, is also not the biggest guy. But yeah, you yeah. CH and Austin Eckler are maybe the two smallest third and running backs in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a type, uh short kings. Um, but you know over the last five years austin eckler has a 94.3 pff receiving grade that he it's the highest of any running back beats out kamara beats out cmc which is incredibly impressive Mm -hmm. through 2017 through 2020 he has 16 receiving touchdowns which is the most in the nfl and he has 2.29 yards per route run which is third best in the nfl among all qualified running backs so we know he's really really good at catching the ball and he always has been and that's kind of a cheat code to fantasy when you also get to run the ball. What Which, I will say though is we're not we're not doing full PPR. We're doing a half PPR here. So all the catches um, are great, but he still needs to to give you more value running the ball than if you're in a full PPR. Then yeah, like go yeah, all around Austin Eckler. No, no, you, you I, would I, need I, to average ten yards to to do the same as a catch in five yards. Which I. I understand that. I, I'm just saying, like, literally, the ma- if he has 80 receptions, he's going to have 40 fewer points in half point. And I just think that that matters a little bit in this conversation. I don't think it matters greatly. But just to touch on that, I think he's going to run the ball a lot. And the reason for that is we went from two weeks ago from Justin Jackson being a roster speculation cut to being the RB2 in this room. Then Joshua Kelly being RB3, who was absolutely terrible last year. And right now, Larry Roundtree being the RB4. I don't think that the Chargers have a lot of faith in the, the running backs behind them. And I don't think any of them are particularly good. I think Larry Roundtree, as we've talked about before, probably is the best shot at being the second best running back. But when you're competing with a fifth round rookie, you have a really good shot at getting a good point in the workload. A really fun stat that I found from Kit Warwick was... There have been 10 running backs who've graded above 90 and gotten at least 80 targets in a season in the last 10 years. Three of them did it with Joe Lombardi, the now offensive coordinator for the Chargers. Those players were Alvin Kamara twice, Darren Sproles, and Theo Riddick. So it's really good seasons from all of those guys. The Theo Riddick season's a bit of an outlier because he didn't run the ball all when he was at Detroit. But even Darren Sproles that year was a top 15 running back. Mm -hmm. So you're getting... 
Austin Eckler at about at the bottom he's going to be if he plays a full season at RB10 right now. And then Brandon Thorne has them ranked as the ninth best offensive line. They added Lindsley, they added Feller, and they added Rashawn Slater. Brian Bulaga is an amazing pass protector. And if this offense lives up to the Justin Herbert expectations, then they're going to have a lot of opportunities there. And Eckler's going to have a really good opportunity to solidify himself in the top seven. When healthy the last three years, he's been a top seven PPR back. Mm-hmm. Specify PPR back. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to run the numbers for half point PPR because the website didn't have them. Uh, but even then, I mean, probably that not probably, quite, put, pro- probably, that not probably puts top a seven. top 12, I'm, I'm sure, mm-hmm. at least in that number. Probably so, so. He's, I mean, it's great. And if he gets 13, 14 rushes a game, he's probably hitting value because of all the targets he's also getting. Yeah, I, I think what did we say? He was like 10 rushes, six carries a game last year was, was what we decided when we talked yeah. about him pretty recently. So I, I've got him down at RB16. I think that RB10, I think that's pretty darn close to his ceiling. I would say like that, not quite the max, but but pretty close for me as far as what his ceiling is. My concerns on Eckler are, are well-documented. Um, the rushing volume, uh, the the rushing touchdowns, he's never had more than, than four in a season. And then this is not something you can really quantify because it, I mean, it, it's just, I have concerns with, uh, with him staying upright, with him staying healthy. If he does handle that much work as a runner, not that this is why he got hurt last year, but he did get hurt last year and he's not, he's not a big guy. So I, I just think that is at least a concern in the back of my mind when, when thinking about Austin Eckler is the, the workload and potential durability issues with him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I hate to say it because I like this offense. I think that my take is that we're do we're doing the Chargers thing with them as a team as a whole in real football, and then a little bit in fantasy football where people are getting just a little too excited uh, about this team. But that that's my take. I mean, it's hard not to when the rookie quarterback broke the record for passing, beating Andrew Luck in one for last sure. game. For sure. No, I'm I'm with you. Herbert Herbert's awesome, but um, he like we talked about last week second on the on the mvp uh list for the whole nfl um yeah yeah but i i don't think even performing at that level like if this offense is it's in the top 12 i think it's easy for eckler to hit value and i just think him being good last year with anthony lynn again is a major major boon that he is a good offensive coordinator behind him now Mm -hmm. so this is my later round guy um at least for today i don't know if i mentioned at the top i've got a newsletter coming out maybe friday hopefully friday going to have four more guys i'm cheating and going with eight guys this year just to give us some more written content but so i've got one later um adp guy in that list the guy today again no one will be surprised by this it's it's jalen waddle you want to hear um possibly one of the most insane college football stats that i've ever heard in in my life this is from field yates jalen waddle scored 17 receiving touchdowns in college you want to guess the average yards per touchdown on those 17 touchdowns these are all receiving this is not including return touchdowns like how deep was he when he caught the ball like how many yards he had on the touchdown or just how how many yards he gained he had you know he had a let's say he had a 75 yard touchdown and then a a one yard touchdown so the average is you know whatever 76 divided by two whatever 40 something so like 30 44.3 yards per touchdown that is just a different kind of guy man like i've seen a lot of the quote-unquote big play fast receivers get the tyree kill comp the lazy comp 
And again, I'm not saying it's Tyree Kill, but I've said this before. He is like the first guy I've seen since Tyree Kill where I see that comp and I don't like immediately want to throw up because it's not like crazy. Could he be 85% of Tyree Kill like for his career, which is a very good player? I think he can. And just he returned a punt the other day. I, I told you that I was watching that Dolphins game in the first quarter. He returned the first punt. It was only like 20 yards, but it was like the most effortless. And the defense was just like petrified to even make a move and, and over pursue. And it was just like, he just looked different out there on the field compared to everybody else. And, and we've seen all the clips from camp. It, it's hard to really glean what, what exactly um, to think about a guy like that. But I heard Matt Waldman earlier this week basically say this about about Waddle, that people – he has Waddle, by the way, as his second receiver in this class behind uh, behind Chase. He has him pretty well ahead of Devontae Smith, which is not a, a common take. This is for, for Dynasty, too, not just this season. Um, he said he thinks a lot of people are kind of logo scouting here with, with Waddle, um, getting a little bit scared off by what Henry Ruggs was and did last season. He basically said, look, this guy is better than Henry Ruggs in every single way. He is a contested catch guy. He can go up and snag it. He can actually run the short stuff and the medium stuff that Ruggs just hasn't shown the ability to do. And he can obviously take the top off because he is just insanely fast. He is the most talented guy on that offense, the most talented skill guy on that offense, I think. Um, he's going as wide receiver 44. I have him at 36, and I'd even be willing – to reach higher for a guy like that. I just think that he's a guy that if you're the offensive coordinator, you are scheming stuff for that guy. Jet sweeps, short passes, take the top off stuff. Like I just, I love, love Jalen Waddle. I also have Jalen Waddle on my dynasty team. Johnny, you're killing me. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Johnny listens to you a lot. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm not like, I'm obviously, I don't love Jalen Waddle as much as you do. Um, I will say, after reading a little bit about the Dolphins offensive line, four people I read had them at 32 in the NFL ranked. My concern, and I, I docked Will Fuller for this as well, just as a matter of the discussion, is that that passing offense could hit the ground pretty quickly. Tua yeah. has been on record saying he didn't feel comfortable making calls in the huddle last year. And... I, it's it's a very traumatic hip injury he comes from. And my concern is that they come in and he's comfortable making those calls and the line gets blown up so quick those calls don't look work. And if it's mental for the second year with Tua, I mean, like you said with Joe Burrow, you, you know, you're going to give it some time with those mental decisions. But if those fall through, I mean, all of those wide receivers lose so much value because we have to expect something out of them. I know you'll, you're, you'll probably say they want to create a lot for Jalen Waddle and give him some of the easier stuff like the, the screens and the sweeps. But I mean, then you're just expecting a lot of rational play calling out of that offense, which I'm not saying they won't do it, but that's think, one of I, my I, bigger I, concerns. I, I think they've got a great coach. I, I think I could very easily expect that out of that offense. I'm with you. That's definitely all, all very notable and, and realistic concerns with, with that offense. But um, what I will say is at least they're all saying all the right things. They're all making it seem like, Oh, two has passed that. Like he's, it, it, he just wasn't ready last year. Seems like a different guy this year. He looked pretty good in his preseason game. He had Twitter kind of going a little bit and then threw a very bad red zone interception. So you take the good with the bad. And in the first preseason game, it was a lot of good, one very bad play. But yeah, I just, I just really, really like the talent of, 
of Jalen Waddle. And and man, I I think he could be a guy that we're taking in the top fifteen, the twenty of drafts next year. Do you think him or Smith have a better season? Who do you have ranked higher? Waddle. I think Waddle is pretty clearly the the second second rookie for me this year. Interesting. So my next guy is uh, I think he was my guy last year, by the way, is Terry McLaurin. Um, <laughs> somehow, like I still feel like he's being underrated. He's a wide receiver 11 and is an ADP of 37. So you can get him at that three, four turn in most drafts. And that just still seems too low for me. I'm not going to spend really? a lot of- too low. Yeah. I'm not really yeah, going to. I have him at 13, so I'm actually even like a little wow. bit low. You're and it's, it, it's like almost all, it's almost all the quarterback. If he had a real quarterback, it'd be a different discussion for me. Fun, because we're going to talk about that. Um, so last year, he had 34% of the team's air yards and 29% of the team's receiving yards. So he was already elite and he played with probably like a bottom tier supporting cast from quarterbacks. For sure. Now, when we talk about wide receivers with fits, it's pretty interesting. So go back to 2015 with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. They finished the wide receiver three and 15. Mike Evans, the year he had fits for a full season, not just half the season, had his highest fancy points per game at 17.3. And somehow, some way last year, he made Devontae Parker look like a legitimate wide receiver with 15.4 points per game and made him the wide receiver 16 on the year. Uh, two, two years ago, but yes, I got you. Two years ago, sorry. Um, now, when you dig into those numbers a little more, he made the wide receivers better. So we know Brandon Marshall's a really, really good wide receiver. Mm-hmm. With Fitz, he had the highest catch rate of his career. It went up by 5.5%, and he had two point, he had two more yards per reception, mm-hmm. which it, when you have a, a steam career as him, that's really hard. So can, My, can, I, can, I, can I just ask you a Fitzpatrick question then? Yes. If I made you put a percent chance on it, what percent chance would you give Ryan Fitzpatrick to start every game this season if he stays healthy? Like, so basically, what percent chance does he get benched versus not get benched this year? Well, that's a good question. And I would say within the last, since the Jets probably, this is the first team that is a legitimate playoff contender. And they don't have any, I mean, I don't think Tyler Hendicke's it. Maybe I'm wrong. Um but I would say he probably has the best chance this season since the Jets year. So I would say like upwards of 90%. See, and that that's where you and I differ. I, I would say I'd give Fitz maybe like a 60% chance of starting every game this year. I think he's going to get benched at some point. Now, could he get benched, come back after two games of the other guy being terrible? He definitely could. That is a an act that he's, that he's had before. You're not going to get any anti-McLaurin um, – out of me it's just it's all about fits i know that fits makes it is great for these receivers when he's out there the problem is is he loses these coaches trust with his four interception games and gets himself benched my and question is is he any is he worse than anybody who played for the last year no he's not but the and the, so who the, on the, the roster would 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 they give us to start do you think hennicky would get it i mean yeah it, it you don't have as long as if the if fitz is playing bad it doesn't matter who else is is on that team if it if does if it's worse if, if what they have is worse than again what playing. he could get benched and then come back in as as the guy if the other guys are bad but we've seen quarterback i mean we saw jalen hurts the end of last year who else did they have nobody they, he still got benched in the last game of the season we've seen fitzpatrick get benched for i can only imagine some some very terrible 
guys throughout his career because he, I mean, there's, a, there's a reason he's played on so many teams. I'll, I'll he was he was benched for Winston, and last year he was the only reason he was benched for two is because they wanted to see what he had, yes, and they put him in to win games. I mean, the Dolphins started Fitzpatrick to win games when last year, and he was the guy who was winning them the games, not yeah, Tua. I, I think that says more about what Tua was last year than than Fitzpatrick. But he's played. I mean, he's been in the NFL since 2003. He's played. He's had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This is his ninth team. There, not many get. Not many guys play on that many teams. You know, there's a reason why he's been on that many teams. There's a reason why he's never been trusted to to even get like a a second contract with with most of these. Like Buffalo, he had the one stint in Buffalo from 09 to 12. Okay, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm just saying I I clearly. There's a, I think there's a higher chance than you do that Fitzpatrick could get himself benched for a couple games, and that scares me more on McLaurin is the uncertainty with Fitzpatrick. Do you want to bet that he never gets benched for performance? Injury, he might. Oh, yeah, I will absolutely take that bet. He has never started uh, – six. he started 16 games three times, not since 2015. I'll take that bet. I'll take that bet. All right, Johnny – Go ahead. Go ahead and just highlight green next to my name. Fitz is definitely going to uh, that's, that's, no that's, that's bold, Don. Dude, bold. The, the no one on this roster argument, that's, that's just not a thing. First of all, number one, Taylor Heineke actually like almost beat the Bucks in the playoffs last year. So there is that. And then number two, again, if he throws four interceptions in like two out of three games, there's always somebody else who's going to go in there and not and and have the coach say, just don't turn the ball over. Just just don't do that, please. I just don't think that happens. I'll I, also I, I, I don't have. Oh, go ahead, Johnny. I was going to say, I'll also add that Terry McLaurin is also on my dynasty team. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have the stats in front of me. I did hear on a podcast this week, though, that Fitzpatrick was the out of like all of the starting quarterbacks, he was last in like, I don't remember even what the term for the stat was. Basically what you need to know is out of any quarterback who was a starter for probably a certain amount of games, defenders were closest in proximity to his passes. to like his pass locations. He basically, that means he also had the best throw of the season last year when they were down to the Raiders and won the game. And it was probably within like, a centimeter of the defender and he okay. put it on a dime. Congrats. I'm not saying he can't make great plays. I'm saying he takes a lot of chances and it's evident in that stat. And it's ev- it's just he's he's always done that. He has one, might have two, the best separator of his career. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He has eight seasons of more than ten interceptions. And he might have the best separator of his career. Okay. I again you don't have to worry about interceptions when you feed it to the guy who's you don't open. have to worry about interceptions with Fitzpatrick this year. No, not with Terry McLaurin. Okay. I will not make a bet about Fitzpatrick's interceptions. <laughs> oh, but so you do have to worry about it. Okay. We're at an hour 10. We've each got one more guy. Let's let's get through these last ones quick. And I say quick, this is probably the most important my guy on my list. I'm doing it, man. I don't feel good about it. I just felt like I had to based on where I had him ranked and and the difference. And this is a first round guy. So three spots make make a world of difference here. I've got Saquon Barkley. This one could blow up in my face very quickly if he ends up not being ready to start the season. But, you know, even if he's not, you're projecting most running backs um, to play like 15 games anyway, 15 out of a 17-game season, 14 out of a 16-game season. It's just I know the Giants don't have the best coaching staff. 
I know they've had a very giant training camp if there ever was one to be had this season. They they have certainly had it. But when he's right, when he's been right, he was the best running back in, in the league, I think. Can he get back to that? That remains to be seen, at least this year. I still think long-term he can get back to that or very close to it. This year, obviously, he could have the Adrian Peterson year. Post-ACL, he could have the Dalvin Cook uh, struggles with injury and and Nixon bruises the whole year um, post-ACL injury too. But I hear this phrase thrown out there a lot. You can't win your league in the first round, but you can lose it. I actually, I don't agree with that. Do you agree with that? No, I actually don't. Um, I, I, unless I hear, you draft Derek Henry. But. And I hear that phrase all the time. I think you absolutely can win your league with your first round pick. If you pick Saquon as the RB7 where he's going and he has like the no doubter like RB1 or even RB2 season, that's a league winning pick in the first round. You're getting one of the top two guys midway through the first round. Well, three years ago, the safe pick was David Johnson and the risky pick was Zeke and Zeke won leagues and David Johnson lost leagues. And, and I and I know and that's a great point. And I know that it was fringe first round, early second round. So a little bit later, but the first year that Todd Gurley blew up, I think I got him with like the 13th overall pick in our draft. So basically a first rounder. I won the league with that pick because he was by far and away the RB1. If you get a guy who can be that at anything but like the top two or three picks, that's a league-winning pick. And Saquon, the downside is there, but the upside is that, I think. He, he has the upside to be that no-doubter RB1 type of guy. I was curious what, what you thought of that because I, I just I hear people say that phrase all the time, and it drives me crazy. Well, first of all, thank you because I own him in Dynasty. And I need that <laughs> because today, uh, I don't know if you follow him, but Scott Pianowski, who writes for Yahoo!, uh-huh. Uh, had a big thread about Saquon Barkley and was very, very negative. And there were some detractors who I, I respected, like Davis Maddock in that thread, talking about why Saquon is a league winner. But one of the things that I haven't gotten is people are knocking Saquon because his play caller is Jason Garrett, who we know is a very vanilla play caller. But he also played calls for Zeke when Zeke was the RB1 for two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, would we be surprised if even when this offense is down 14 points, they're running it twice on first and second down with Saquon? No, and the thing with Saquon is he can catch the ball, and and here here's really the, the truth. Has he ever been in a good situation in New York? Has he ever even been in a average situation? No, he's always been in a terrible situation, and he played well enough to earn top two pick consideration a couple years or just last year, I guess with, with Christian McCaffrey and he was top three or four the year before that I'm betting that that guy is still in there somewhere and am hoping for a healthy season for him because I, I think he's got that, that upside. I know there's a ton of risk. This is the one that I think is most likely to blow up in my face. This is the one that's also most likely to make me look like a genius because Hey, it's not that bold. But it, fe- it like it feels bold with with the Saquon takes that are out there everywhere. It feels bold to say I've got him at RB four. I would consider him at RB three, even RB two. I would consider him anywhere two through four in drafts. Well, what's funny is three months ago when we knew he had knee surgery, he was RB four, and then news came out he wasn't going to be ready for training camp. And people were like, "Yeah, it's over for Saquon. <laughs> Book it. He's going in the back of the first round." And it, I mean, what I don't understand is like I've seen people take. 
Antonio, I was in a underdog draft today where Antonio Gibson and Jonathan Taylor went above Saquon Barkley. Like that's that's just and madness. There's there is no conceivable upside where both those players play 17 games and Saquon Barkley is not the better fantasy player unless Antonio Gibson and Jonathan Taylor have like 20 touchdowns on the one yard line. Yeah, and I know I know it's been a long time for Saquon because he's had two injury riddled seasons, but when he was healthy at the end of of whatever it was the 2019 season I guess when he finally was getting healthy off that ankle I mean he he was just he was just unreal and again I ACL injuries are scary but when you when you just look at Saquon it gives you a little more faith that maybe he could recover okay from the ACL injury I'm a big guy his quads are like half my chest (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) It's scary how massive that man is. I think his quads are both my quads plus one of Johnny's quads. I can't believe that Odell Beckham Jr. and Saquon played on the same team and that that wasn't a top five offense. Yeah, almost like there were some offensive line and quarterback <laughs> issues. Maybe maybe that, that made things a little tough there. Dalton, who is your last guy? So my last guy is somebody you can basically get for free in redraft leagues. He's somebody who I've come around to more and more on the season. He has an ADP of 190, and he's the wide receiver 71 right now, and it's Rondell Moore. Um, let me just say, yeah. I want I want to trade for him in Dynasty, but I don't yeah. I, I don't know if I can pull it off. Aaron Trejo, if you're listening, hit me up. Well, Colt McCoy was the starting quarterback, but ever, for all purposes, it was the ones they ran with, other than Kyler not playing. In the first six snaps, Rondell Moore got four targets and two carries. Cliff Kingsbury got a guy who fits his offense so well because Cliff Kingsbury loves to go horizontal, not vertical, and that's mm-hmm. Rondell Moore's game. He might um, have an A dot of like five yards this year, and it could still he could still be very good. Yeah. Well, and at wide receiver 71, if you're just getting targets, you're getting value. Mm-hmm. Um, he played in the two wide receiver sets, too, with the first team last week. Christian Kirk left the field. And I think this team's a little tired of Christian Kirk because he's supposed to have been something for a while and he hasn't. AJ Green is a Hall of Famer, but he's not a Hall of Famer anymore. There has to be somebody alongside DeAndre Hopkins to eat up some of those targets. And I mean, Kyler Murray has impressed as a passer year over year. He's gotten better as a passer. And if he takes something like the Josh Allen jump we saw, which I'm not put it's it's in his range of outcomes. Yeah, that, that, that was happens. like that was like an all-time jump yeah. that Josh Allen took, I think. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. But if he just improves even more as a passer and doesn't spend eight games with a, a gimp shoulder, and they have a better center in Rodney Hudson. I mean, this offense looks poised to be really good. And there's only one or two players we're taking in the top 50, and it's Ronda and it's uh DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, and someone else is gonna be value. And hey. We've talked about that running back room being bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rondell Moore can get some carries here. And if he's that, 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 than... that's that's what I was gonna say is that you know, James Connor, who knows? Chase Edmonds, okay player, not really an every down type of back, not a high volume type of back, you would think. Um, yeah, Rondell Moore can can take some pressure off and take a couple carries every game. I'm with you. I've got him at wide receiver sixty or fifty-nine, somewhere in there. He's in my he's in my new ranks. I, I'm with you on Rondell Moore. Yeah, and the last thing, if this guy had played football last year, he probably would have been in a, a closer to a first-round pick. Um, mm-hmm. His his, I look back at his year at Purdue, and that guy, go watch his tape because you're like, this guy is so – and it's funny because everybody here but Terry McLaurin are tiny. But this guy is so <laughs> tiny, but he is just such a player, man. Well, he's, he's, uh, he's the guy who 
squats like eight times his body weight. Yeah. Squats like 700 pounds. He's ridiculous. I'm excited to see him play more. Uh, I'm, I'm going to probably try to write up a DFS article, and I think he's going to be in it for this next week for some preseason fun. Yeah, uh, no, I'm I'm totally with you on Rondell Moore. I think agreement. That's a good place to end it, is <laughs> agreement. After an episode pretty full of disagreement, multiple bets, and that is going to do it for episode 42 of the Half Point for Podcast. We've got mock draft time. We've got mock draft coming next week. We'll see if we can get our guy Eli Beery on the show again. It's either going to be us three or us three plus Eli. We shall see about that. Follow the Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, Half Point for Pod. Starting to get things going a little bit more on there. Um, look at the newsletter at halfpointforpod.substack.com. You've got Dalton's newsletter that came out on Wednesday with the training, with the preseason stuff. I will have more guys coming out for you all later this week, either Friday or Saturday. And again, we will talk to you with the mock draft next week.